Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Thank you, Chuck and Angela. First Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. How many of you like to walk for exercise? Anybody? Okay. Many of you. What's that? Extra fries? <laughs> I did a lot of walking when I was living in Virginia for exercise. My best friend and I would go out. We'd talk and, and encourage one another and challenge one another and spend a lot of time on the trail. Wait, no, I got that backwards. Rails to trails that were in Lynchburg. Lynchburg, uh, Virginia, part of that program. Many communities, I think even here in Cumberland, we have uh, rails to trails and so we would walk out uh, along across the James River and uh, talk about spiritual things, talk about silly things. But there were times when, because of the various wildlife that was right there on the river, where we had to either slow down or turn around to get out of danger. I remember one time I was down there on that trail, and uh, a guy came up, running up to me with his dog, and he said, better turn around. He said, there's a big, mean snake. Got in a fight with my dog, and he's still on the trail, and we just decided we were going to get out of there. So he said, if I were you, I, I think I'd wait a while before I head down that part of the trail. So where we walk determines how we walk, or it should. If we're in dangerous territory, we should be very careful about how we walk. I walk a lot different when I'm walking through the woods than when I do on the beach, right? On the beach, my main concern is not burning my feet, not uh, get, getting too fast, just enjoying the surf, enjoying the sand, enjoying the, the sounds and the smell of the ocean. But where we walk should determine how we walk. When we are in treacherous places, we need to be extra careful of how we walk. And walking is a... A picture, an analogy that Paul often uses to illustrate what it's like to live the Christian life, step by step. Yes, sometimes uh, life is a race, and there, there are times when the Bible uses the analogy of a race, but more often the Bible uses the analogy of a step by step walk. Step by step, choice by choice, how is my walk for the Lord today. Now, the theme of 1 Thessalonians, uh, it's been a few weeks. Let's just review very quickly. Faithful service under fire. And the theme verse is in chapter 1 and verse 3, where Paul says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Everything that we do is in the sight of God and our Father. I remember when, now I can't take my eyes off Elijah 
too long even now, but I remember when he was when he was very young and you had to keep eyes on him at all times. Uh, he uh, still has sometimes problems with staying where he's supposed to stay because he, he, he says, well, I'm just curious. Well, Daddy, I'm just curious. I want to find out what's going on. But the that tension sometimes, you know, leaving the room. I remember it, it was, I think, three years ago. I left the room for about two minutes, and he comes upstairs, and he has a toilet paper roll on his head, and it's wet. <laughs> so I knew where that toilet paper roll had come from. And I had to pick him, I picked him up right there, and I put him right in the shower, and I was really stressed about what I was going to find. It wasn't as bad downstairs as it was in my, in my imagination, but God the Father is always watching his children. He's always got his eyes on us. Now, he can be everywhere at all times, so it's not stressful for him like it is for us, especially those of you who have multiple kids and you're trying to keep eyes on all of them at the same time. Uh, we really need our prayers to cover our kids, don't we, and our grandkids, because we cannot be everywhere at the same time. But God's eyes are on us all the time, and God is evaluating our walk. He's evaluating the way that we live. Are we living in a way that honors him? Now, I want to just for a, a moment give you an overview and an outline of the book of First Thessalonians because we're going to see now as we've been in the introduction, uh, chapter one, verse one to chapter two, verse nine. We've been in uh, the, uh, the introduction where Paul is laying the foundation, which is finding encouragement, drawing encouragement from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality that even though we're all sinners, Yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God the Son came to earth, born of a virgin, lived the perfect sinless life that you can't live, that I can't live. And he died a substitutionary death for you and for me to pay our debt. And then the sin debt being paid, he rose victoriously from the grave. And he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And all we have to do is place our faith in him and him alone to receive that grace. It's a powerful thing. It's, it's, it should draw, it, it should be a source of encouragement for us. We should draw encouragement from that reality every single day. It's why Paul preached the gospel constantly to people who are already saved. And Paul preached the gospel constantly to himself. We know that because of things that he said. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul was constantly keeping the cross of Christ in view and the empty tomb of Christ in view because in the cross we see the love of God for us. In the empty tomb we see the power of God at work for us. And Romans chapter 8 says, in us who are saved. And so he lays this foundation and he gives us this key verse, the work of faith, labor of love and patience of hope. And what I'm going to begin to show you, Lord willing, tonight and as we continue on into this book, that Paul then in the next few chapters begins to work through those three things. And so in chapter two, verse 10 through chapter three, verse 10, 
Paul emphasizes our, the believer's, work of faith. Then in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, he talks about the believer's labor of love. And then uh, the most familiar passages of uh, 1 Thessalonians for most of us, chapter 4 and 5, where Paul talks about the believer's patience of hope. And then at the end, Paul, in closing, gives us some practical commandments and some practical applications. If I'm going to uh, be living a life where I'm uh, doing the work of faith and I'm laboring in love and I'm patiently hoping for the return of Jesus Christ, then here is what my life should look like. And so that's how Paul uh, uh, lays out this book for us. And so we begin again in chapter 2, verse 10. And I, I want to look at these few verses by way of review since it's been a few weeks. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children that ye would walk Worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. And so the heart of Paul and Silas and Timothy for this church was to see them encouraged. To see them exhorted and specifically exhorted and comforted and charged. And they used all three of those methods when they taught, whether it was, we know from Acts that Paul taught publicly and Paul went house to house. Paul believed in big church and small church. He was not one or the other. Uh, some churches go to extremes. They, they only want to do big church and then they don't emphasize uh, Bible studies. We have Sunday morning Bible studies. We have a number of other Bible studies. We've had men's Bible studies in the past and, and Lord willing, uh, in the future, we'll be able to have another men's Bible study. We have for a couple options for ladies, and, and we have some mixed groups where you have uh, uh, options to gather. But Paul would teach big group publicly, but also house to house. And this was his model. This was his modus operandi. And he was, what was he doing? Sometimes he was exhorting them. Sometimes he was challenging them. Sometimes he was comforting them. Uh, and sometimes he was giving them very uh, uh, confrontational charges to do this or to stop doing that. And we're going to see uh, all of those methods uh, used by Paul as a good parent will use all of those methods for their children, depending on what the need, depending on the situation. What is the crisis today? Is it a, uh, a crisis, uh, an emotional crisis that they're going through? Is it a, a crisis of disobedience that they need to be confronted and disciplined? Is it a, a crisis of fear that they need to be comforted? Whatever the situation, God's word has a response because God, our heavenly father, speaking through Paul, who was a spiritual father to these people and now to us to meet us where we live with his word. And of course, his motivation, as we see, was his love and compassion for these dear Christians who were struggling, but his his heart for them was not just to encourage them to feel good about themselves, but to encourage them to walk worthy of God. And so in these next few verses, and we're just going to look at verses 12 through 16 tonight, we're going to look really at four key things that Paul calls this church to do, that 
call that call Paul's us, that Paul calls us. I haven't got a lot of sleep the last few nights. You know, I got bats in the in the attic. I, I haven't got a lot of good sleep. So my words may not come out of my mouth the way that they are formulating in my head. I'm just warning you, okay? Just warning you of that. But we are to walk worthy of God. And here are some things. If I'm going to commit tonight, if I'm going to commit to walking worthy of God, walking worthy of my heavenly Father, remember, he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. When you are born again, and the only way you can be part of the family of God is to be born again. It's not, it's not through your parents. It's not through your genes. It's not me because I'm a pastor's kid. It's not my son because he's a pastor's kid. That that's how you get into heaven. That's how you get into the family of God. Getting uh, raised in the church does not mean that you are part of the family of God. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. How can you be born when, when you're old, Nicodemus said, do, do I have to get back up into my mama? I don't think she's going to be happy about that. He was, he, he, that was one of the first dad jokes, by the way, uh, in the gospel of, of John, Nicodemus asking Jesus, and Jesus didn't freak out. Jesus said, uh, you're a master of Israel and you don't know these things. And ultimately, he came down to this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's right. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The way to be born again is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you are born again, God places his spirit inside of you and God places his name upon you. And God expects you. We're not saved by our works, but now that we're saved, God, God expects us to work. Ephesians 2, I, I quote this to you all the time. Once you've gotten tired of hearing me say this, then I know that I've only got to repeat it a few more times. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we often leave off verse 10. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works which God hath prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So God wants us to walk worthy of him. And here's, the, here's four keys that Paul gives us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 on how to do that. Let's first of all look at verse 12. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. If I'm going to walk worthy of God, I need to, number one, remember God's calling on my life. You say, how do I know if I'm called? If you are in Christ, you are called. If you're in Christ, you're called. If you're not in Christ, you can be in Christ. I talked about that this morning. Jesus Christ died and paid the sin debt of all mankind. Jesus said in John chapter 3, why people go to hell. It's not because of their sin. Their sin's paid for. Jesus said in John chapter 3, he that believes is not condemned, but he that believeth not, is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, my, my sin debt was paid for, but that doesn't mean I'm saved. I have to receive the gift. I have to receive the giver of the gift. And then I'm born again. A lot of sinners going to be in heaven. Heaven's full of ex-sinners, amen? Ex-sinners. None of us get into heaven because of 
how good we are because of how better we are than somebody else. We're all saved by grace. But now that we're saved, we need to live like it. And those who uh, are suffering today, it's because they did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Remember God's calling on your life. Paul says in Ephesians, if you are in Christ, you are chosen. You are one of the chosen, and God has chosen before the foundation of the world that all who are in Christ will be saved, and God has a purpose and a plan for their life. And it's not uh, the, the exact same plan and purpose that he has for the Christian sitting beside you or in front of you or behind you, but it is a specific purpose. God has placed you in the family. He's placed you on purpose. You're not an accident. Oh, maybe, maybe you were a surprise to mom and dad, but you are not an accident in the, in the plan of God. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. Your purpose may not be my purpose, and I'm sure it isn't because we, we don't need a church full of people standing up here doing this. We need people who, who have the gift of service, and we need people who have the gift of administration, and we need people who have uh, the spiritual gift of encouragement. We need all of the body of Christ, and God has a place for you and your family and in this church and in this community, and God has you where you're working for a purpose. You say, I don't like my job. I don't want to be there. Well, I've had those kind of jobs too. Now, thank God I don't have one now. <laughs> I love what I do now. I'm so thankful for what I get to do now. But I've had jobs that I dreaded going to work. I had jobs when I was a social worker working third shift at a residential treatment center in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I got off on Friday, and I wasted Saturday depressed that I was going to have to go to back to work on Sunday. <laughs> and every week, that was the cycle. I spent my day off going, oh, I got to go back tomorrow. I get it. But God had a purpose for me in that place. And there are things, listen, I wouldn't want to go back and do those two years again, but I would never ever trade those two years because of what God did in my life and in my heart, the way that God used that crucible in, so, in certain times. There was a, that was a crucible. I mean, there were times when I was scared for my safety and, and, and many more times when I was scared for the safety of, of one of those kids because of uh, uh, the dangerous situations that I was sometimes in. But God used those trials and those circumstances in my life. I have to remember that God has a calling on my life. And it's not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm his child. God has a calling on your life. And Paul says, remember your citizenship and remember your glory. See, if you are a child of God, you are an eternal citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians Chapter 3, someday, Lord willing, we'll go through the book of Philippians. I love the book of Philippians, uh, but I, I want to wait until I feel like it's the Holy Spirit saying go to the book of Philippians. But we'll get the Lord willing, we'll get there someday. Verse 20 says, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Guys, you're already dead in Christ, and your life is hid with Christ on high, and Christ is your life, and when he appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. I'm, I'm proud to be an American and to live in a land that is still mostly free. I, I'm proud of that, but I am infinitely more proud that I am a citizen of heaven. I am here as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, 
I have been sent to Western Maryland in these United States of America to serve God as his ambassador, but my kingdom is in heaven. America could fall tomorrow. It's, fall, it's already in free fall, right? It could come all crashing down. Don't think it couldn't happen. They, they thought, uh, look, just look at the history of other nations of the world. When, when their society was in free fall, when their society was in collapse and people were in denial. It, one day in our economy could be gone. One day. It, it, it's, it's not our hope, folks. America's not. I love, I love our country. I, I pray for our country, but our country is not our hope. My citizenship is in heaven. And listen, I have an eternal, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, an eternal weight of glory that will be revealed. Paul said, Paul who has been, listen, Paul who has been through more than, than hopefully any of us will ever have to go through. I mean, beatings and torture for the cause of Christ, shipwrecked. Actually, at one point, we believe uh, out of body, as he says in 2 Corinthians, because he was so badly stoned. And he said, I went to heaven. I don't even know if I went physically or if it was just my spirit. I don't even know. God knows. And I saw things that I'm not even allowed to tell you they're so wonderful. But in Romans, he said, guys, having been there, I can tell you that the trials that we're going through, and Paul was not unfamiliar with them, he said, it's not even worth comparing with the glory. Now listen, that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us. Not just the glory revealed to us. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in his uh, story, Weight of Glory. His, I guess uh, story is not the right word, but uh, his essay that he wrote, The Weight of Glory. And I, I'm not going to quote him directly, but in essence, to paraphrase Lewis, he said, if we could see one another, the way that we will be in our eternal state, if we could see another Christian, if I could see Wilmer here, the way that he will be in eternity, I would be tempted to fall down and worship him. Just the way that John the Apostle fell down and was tempted to worship the angel. And the angel had to say, uh, get off your knees, get off your face. I'm just a servant like you. But Lewis also said, if we could see Wilmer before he was saved in an eternal state, we would be horrified. We would be terrorized. Worse than, worse than Cthulhu, we would be, we would be horrified with, with what we were seeing and the terror of it. And that's, Lewis said, what Paul meant when he talked about the weight of glory, that, that we have this promise that will be the glory that will be revealed. Paul said it's not even worth comparing the trials that we go through with the glory that we reveal. Remember your calling. Walk worthy of it now. Walk worthy of it now. Walk in the royalty that you already possess as a prince or princess of God, the Father. We will rule and reign, as I told our Sunday morning Bible study class this morning in passing, we will rule and reign with Christ forever on the earth. We, we won't be, there will be no elections in the millennial kingdom. There, you won't have to worry about uh, uh, dominion voting machines or, or mail-in ballots. You won't have to worry about any of that because Jesus Christ, the high king of kings, is going to install his 
bride as the rulers of the earth. As the governors, as the, as the magistrates, we will rule and reign with Christ. And we're going to have tremendous responsibility. Say, I don't know, that's not really what I'm, what I'm made out. Well, God is going to equip you, okay? You'll be equipped. You'll have the mind of Christ. As, as, uh, Ron, I think that was you that said that this morning. So remember your calling. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 13. If I'm going to walk worthy, I not only remember my calling, but verse 13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, Paul, an apostle who was given the unique gift and calling of penning roughly a third of the New Testament. Now, I know some some say half because they believe Paul wrote Hebrews. I I personally don't believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. I I think Paul could not have written the book of Hebrews because the book of Hebrews, uh, the author says that he was not an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, and Paul absolutely was an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. He saw him on the road to Damascus, and so I, I believe that one verse disqualifies my personal, um, we're stepping out of dogma here, right? That's just my personal opinion. So I believe Paul wrote about a third of the New Testament, not about a half of it, but what a tremendous gift. What a tremendous calling. And you understand when Paul says to these Thessalonians, the, the word of God which he heard of us. He's not talking about the Old Testament. They already had that. He's not talking about the Old Covenant. He's talking about the revelations that Paul had given, uh, had been given by the Holy Spirit that were affirmed because everything must be established by two or three witnesses, right? So it wasn't just Paul saying, oh, you can believe me. It was also the Holy Spirit affirming through Silas and affirming through Timothy that, yes, this is the very word of God that is being communicated to you remember in acts chapter 2 verse 42 uh, that the baby church just conceived just born i should say just born in the world and what were they doing they were gathering around the apostles teaching the apostles doctrine you're not going to be able to correctly understand the old covenant if you divorce it from the new covenant because jesus christ has given the apostles the insight, the divine Holy Spirit endowed insight to, to give understanding and interpretation to the things that Isaiah said and the things that David sa- uh, sang about in the Psalms and, and what Moses wrote about in the law. And so when we try to use the Old Covenant and we divorce it from the New Testament, we get into all kinds of trouble. But Here's the second thing I would tell you. You have to commit to the word of God, all of it, all of it, because you need all of it. Because all scripture is God breathed. And because all scripture is God breathed, 2 Timothy chapter 316, it's all profitable. It's profitable for doctrine. That's what we must believe. Profitable for reproof. That's what we got to stop doing, what we must confess for correction. That's what we need to heal and to be brought back into a state of wholeness like a splint on a broken bone 
and for instruction in righteousness. That's what we got to do. That's what we got to do about it. And so we need all of it. And so Paul says, Paul gives us in this short verse, he gives us three essential truths about the word of God. Number one, it's supernatural. It's not the word of me. It's not my opinion, Paul says. By the way, the apostle Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. No scripture is of private interpretation. Well, here's what it means to me. No. Here's how it applies to my life. Yes, you can do that. You get to do that. Well, here's how, here, here's how I think we should apply this. No, it, it means what it means. We get to apply it, and it's going to apply to your life and to your circumstances maybe differently than it applies to my life and my circumstances because we don't have all of the exact same circumstances. But it, it, but it means what it says. It doesn't mean what I want it to say. It's not open to my private interpretation. Peter says, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So there's one author, where there roughly 40 different men that God used to pen the Old and New Testaments, but one author through them all, which is why it all fits together. And that's the Holy Spirit of God. It is supernatural. And because it is supernatural from God, it is, Paul says, the truth. It's the very word of God. It is truth. You can bank on it. Whatever science says, you can bank on the word of God. Science is going to change, right? Follow the science into confusion because the scientists won't agree. And what we have learned time and time again over the last three years is that science is open to interpretation based on who's paying the bills. We've seen it time and time and time again. God's word never changes. It's the truth. And so I have to believe. There's, I tell, I've told you before, there's a lot of stuff in this book I don't like. There's a lot of stuff in this book I don't dis, uh, that I don't agree with. Do you know why? Because I'm a sinner, and it offends me, and it convicts me. But this book does not need to change. This book will not change. I need to change. I need to get myself in line. When I see something that, why? Well, that's just offending me. That, that's, that's hate speech. No, that's God's loving correction. God who designed men and women tells us what a man is and what a woman is. God defines that. God determines that. Not society. We don't determine that democratically. We don't determine that individually. God, the creator, determines that. It's the truth. And here's the third thing. And this, I've seen this time and time, and time again in my life. And many of you, hopefully all of you, can give testimony to this as well. It is effective. It's effective. Listen again, verse 13. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. If you can read and read and read God's word and not be changed by it, you are not truly saved. You're not. You need to repent of your sin, repent of your self-righteousness, admit that Jesus is the only Savior, He's the only way, He's the truth, He's the life, He died for you, He rose again, call upon Him to be saved, trust in Him, not your good works, trust in Him alone, and you will be saved. 
Because if you are saved and if the author of Scripture, see, this is why the devil tries to get you distracted from reading the Bible. This is why the devil tries to keep you out of church, why he tries to keep you from getting in the word of God, because he knows when you get in the word of God, it gets into into you and it will change you. It will change you. It may not change you as fast as your mom or your spouse wants it to change you, but it will change you. It's effective. It is living. Hebrews 4.12 says it is active. It is sharper than a two edged sword and it can discern the difference between your soul and your spirit. That's how sharp it is. That's how powerful it is. It's supernatural. So commit to it. Commit to, to getting in it. Commit to reading it. Commit to learning it. Commit to understanding it. There's things in the Bible that I still struggle to understand. And I've been studying the Bible for a long time. I've gone to school to study the Bible. There are still things because it is, it's, it's, it's deeper than the ocean. It's deeper than the ocean. You're never going to plumb the depths of God's word. You're going to spend your life, and you should spend your life, digging and plumbing and getting into God's word because it will get into you. It will change you. I am not, as Mark Lowry likes to say, I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I'm going to be. I'm not where I could be, but thank God I'm not where I was. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit using God's word uh, in my life. Remember God's calling. Commit to God's word. Here's the third thing. Follow God's people. Follow God's people. Look at verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. In other words, Paul says to this Gentile, predominantly Gentile, not exclusively, because we know from the book of Acts that this was a mixed congregation. There were Jews and Gentiles, but predominantly Gentile church. He said, you guys didn't say, well, we're Gentiles. We're just going to do our own thing. We're going to be Gentiles and, and do Gentile things. He said, you followed the example of the suffering churches back in Judea, back in the nation of Israel, where there, those first churches were planted by the other apostles, Paul being the the apostle born out of season, right? Being the last and then being sent to the Gentiles. But the church was exploding because of what Peter was doing and because of what uh, Thomas was doing and because of what John was doing and because even others like Philip who uh, weren't, um, and Stephen who were uh, active in the church, gifted teachers, gifted preachers, uh, prophetic in their ministry because of what they were doing. The church was, was growing and spreading in those, in those early decades in Israel as Jews were coming to their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Paul says to this small Gentile church that you guys are learning from them. You guys aren't trying to reinvent the wheel. You guys are learning from them. Let me give you three practical applications from this. Number one, be part of the church. And we're part of the church through a local church. Now, I, there's times when I fellowship with, with uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't part of our church, the, our local church, but we're all part of the church, okay? We're all part of the church, but you got to be engaged in a local church. You got to be engaged. You got to be active. You got to be serving. You got to be connected. You got to be integrated, Because people need your spiritual gift. 
and you need the spiritual gifts of others. None of us can be a Lone Ranger, even the Lone Ranger rode with Tonto. We all need each other. We all need to serve each other. None of us, uh, we, sometimes we have to stand alone, right? Sometimes we're, we're Daniel in the lion's den. But more often, we're Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know where Daniel was at that time. That's another message for another time. But uh, we've actually, uh, that's a previous message from a previous time. Uh, but sometimes you have to stand alone, but that's not, that shouldn't be the pattern of our life. Follow God's people. Be part of the church through the local church. That's the, that's the Acts 242 model. And then number two, learn from other faithful churches. Do you know that every other gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church in our area is a sister church. It's a sister church. We're not in competition. Now, if somebody feels called from our church to go to another church, if, if, if they leave on good terms, everyone's always welcome. Okay? Everyone's welcome. Praise God that they're serving in a church. Sometimes God, sometimes God moves people. I don't want any of you to, I don't want any of you to be called anywhere else. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not, we're not, pastors don't get together and say, I'll give you two of these for one of those, right? We don't do that, okay? <laughs> Jokingly, we do that. I've tried to trade Marty and Vicky, but I tell you what, not, all the other preachers in town are wise to them. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> sometimes God leads us to different, different churches. I've, I've had the privilege of serving in a number of different churches. Um, there's been times when I've I've known the Holy Spirit has said it's time to go, and um, you know I I plan on being here until the day I die. That's that's my goal, and I'll I will be here unless the Holy Spirit changes that. That's my plan, but we're not in competition with one another. Second John, John. Uh, there's some debate about this, but if we, we look at uh, the beginning and end of, of the short, short epistle of Second uh, John, we see John describe two churches as, as essentially sister churches. And we need to have that attitude towards other churches. We need to love other churches. I know some of us have had bad, a bad experience at another church. Maybe that's why God brought you here. And, and praise God, God brought you here. And I, I pray this is a place of healing for you, if that's, if that's your story, if that's your testimony. But I will tell you, you need to love the body of Christ. You need to forgive. You need to forgive if that's the case. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult. That's, Christianity, that's not Christianity 101, right? That's like graduate level stuff. But it's where we all need to get to and grow to. Uh, to be forgiving as God has forgiven us. So learn from other churches. We're not competing with anybody. That's why we're uniting with other churches. Some of them, they teach some things that are a little bit different than we teach. But we are uniting with them for Unite on the Rock. We're getting together with other churches in our area. Some of them have different, uh, different forms of government. Some of them believe different things about some secondary issues. But as we gather around the gospel of Jesus Christ, for our area, for this, for this tri-state area, to get the gospel out so that people can hear the gospel. And we pray, receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. We get together with sister churches to accomplish that mission. And so as we learn from these churches, uh, I want to just share one more thing on this point with you. We need to also be encouraged by those churches, especially those who are going through rough times. 
persecuted church. We are in a rare time in history. We're in rare air here in, in, in this part of America and in this time in history that we don't have to worry about the kinds of things that most churches in the world have to worry about tonight. Right? We, we take security very seriously. We have some security protocols in place, but we don't have people listening at the door to see if somebody's coming to drag us off and throw us in jail. I, I don't hope to ever have a prison ministry in the form of I'm the one in prison writing you messages from prison as your imprisoned pastor. Now, could that happen within the next couple of years? Anything's possible. Anything's possible. We pray it doesn't. We pray it doesn't come to that in our lifetime for our kids' sake, if nothing else, for our grandkids' sake, if nothing else. But as we see other churches, when we had Vernon Brewer here, remember the, the testimonies of, uh, by the way, I think we, we did get some more of those books. If, if somebody was um, uh, not here that Sunday when Vernon Brewer was here with World Help, uh, the, the books uh, from uh, the messages from the persecuted church, we have, we have some more copies of those that we uh, have been made available to us. And so those are free of charge. Um, I would encourage you to get the book, read the book, be encouraged by the book, but then be reminded to pray for our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, our brothers and sisters in Nigeria and other places in parts of India where they literally risk their lives to call themselves a Christian. Be encouraged by their faithfulness. Their faithfulness challenges us to up our game and our faithfulness. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you saw what, what these churches were going through, and it upped your game. Right? Next man up. If God is doing, if God is, is doing a work in those churches in the face of all that they're suffering, then God can do it here, and God will do it here. And that was their mentality, and Paul praises them, and Paul challenges us to follow God's people the same way. Here's the last thing before we close, verses 15 and 16. And this sometimes for us is where the rubber meets the road. This is the uh, logical conclusion of verse 14. Verse 15 says, speaking of, of those Jews in the first century who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, speaking of the apostles, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now, this is not Gentile DJ saying this. This is Shaul, who changed his name to Paul, the Jew, the Benjamite, the Pharisee of Pharisees, who is saying this of his own countrymen. He's just looking at the facts. He's saying that most of my own countrymen, they've had the word of God. They've had the oracles of God, as he says in Romans chapter 9, entrusted with the prophecies about the Messiah, part of the covenant promises that God has made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and part of the Davidic covenant that God has made with the line of David so that we now know Jesus as Yahuwah ben David, Jesus, son of David, rightful heir to the throne of his father David in the human sense. 
And yet, rather than celebrate their Messiah, rather than even just ignore their Messiah as a nation, they rejected, despised, and then persecuted their countrymen who did embrace him. But this is not some anti-Semitic comment because Paul says that this was not just something the Jews were doing. The Gentiles were doing it too. This is, not a, this is not an ethnic thing. This is not an ethnic sin. This is a human sin. This is a sin of humanity. Those who reject Christ, you reject him long enough, you move as Psalm, chap, as Psalm 1 says, right? You, you move from a, a fool all the way to a scoffer or a mocker. It's the natural progression of rejecting God's truth and rejecting God's son. And so as Christians, friend, we have to learn if we're going to be faithful and walk worthy of God, we're going to have to endure God's enemies. We're going to have to stand for him in the midst of hatred, in the midst of mockery, in the midst of persecution. We have American leaders who are now openly uh, despising Christians and Christianity, faithfully observe, faithfully proclaim. Oh, sure, the, the, they, they're all fine with the Laodicean Christians who make God's word say whatever they want to say, want it to say. People who, uh, with one part of their mouth, confess Christ and, and out of the other side of their mouth deny his word, deny his law, deny his teaching. But the moment, I, someone else said this, and I, I forgive me, I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said it here in our church just within the last several weeks, that the moment you become a Christian, you become an enemy of the world, you become an enemy of the flesh, you become an enemy of the devil. You now have three enemies that you did not have before you got saved. Jesus, uh, John says, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And why did John say that? Well, he was living it, but it's what Jesus had told him was going to happen. John 15, 18, John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I've already overcome the world. So the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. And we need to realize that even if we get the best candidates, even if we get the best people elected in this world, we will still have tribulation. Jesus said it. Jesus said if they, they hated me, they're going to hate my children. They're going to hate my people. They're going to hate you if they hate me, if you're truly my servants. So let me give you three uh, applications as we close. Number one, your ultimate citizenship is in heaven, as we've already said. Remember that. Remember your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Uh, Paul says in verse 15, they killed the Lord Jesus, they killed their own prophets, they persecuted us, for, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles so that they might be saved, to fill up their sin, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto even I, Paul, once again, but Satan himself hindered. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now, we'll get to those verses the next time we're together. But the point here is that our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. Number two, I want to remind you, God will always punish national sin. 
He will always punish. I don't have time to take you to Jeremiah 18 tonight, the potter's prophecy, but you go read that on your own. Read that on your own time. Paul is saying here, because of what the Jews have done to Jesus and the church, that there's judgment coming. And it did come in AD 70, and it's going to come again in the, in the time of Jacob's trouble. God will always punish national sin. Israel is the clearest and most consistent example of this. We see it in the Old Testament and the New. So judgment is coming on America. It's coming. Now, I pray it comes after we're gone so that my son doesn't have to be part of that, so that my wife and I don't have to be part of that. But it's coming. The blood of the unborn is crying out. And there will be a, there will be a reckoning. There will be a judgment day. So when that comes, make sure that you are among the faithful. Among the faithful. God will punish national sin. And God will especially punish opposition to the gospel. Guys, we've got to endure God's enemies. If we want to be faithful, to walk worthy of God, we've got to be able to walk in some treacherous places. We've got to follow him through the minefield. And when you're walking through a minefield, you better stay close to the Lord because he's the only one who knows the safe path through. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you, God, that while we were yet sinners, God, you died for us. You save us because of your grace, not because of our goodness. But God, as your children, you then equip us to be sanctified. You give us your spirit to sanctify us, Father. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.